if you would, uh, I'd ask you to just imagine for a second, try to remember your first memory that you have of the Bible. Think back, maybe it was a long time ago, maybe it wasn't that long ago. Maybe it's like a family Bible that was this big Bible. Maybe it's something that you, you saw in church sometime. Maybe you don't have much of a memory of the Bible. Just think, I'll give you five seconds to think of your earliest memory that you can recall of the Bible. All right, give me a head nod when you have a memory. I need a real head nod. I'm in a Minnesota one. I like, like a real, like, give me some feedback here. Okay, there. We got most of us. Uh, I, I was recalling some of my earliest memories of the Bible, and, and there was one memory I had. I started going to church probably when I was around second grade, somewhere in there. And um, for some reason, I remember a story of, of uh, King Solomon. And King Solomon had this opportunity to, to ask for whatever he wanted, and it was going to be given to him. And he asked for wisdom. I remember thinking, like a, like a young kid, like, wisdom? Like, he could ask for other stuff. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that must be, like, really important. So I started to pray. God, give me wisdom. I'm still praying that prayer. <laughs> My parents will attest to it. Um, that's one of the memories. The other memory I have has this, it's a song. It goes like this. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand not alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And we'd all yell together at the end, Bible! I think we were excited because we got to yell in church and scream. Anytime we could do that was an exciting time. Some of you remember that song. You were about to sing with me. You were ready to shout. I know you were. It's an interesting song, an interesting thing, because it, what, what's happened and, and I think most of us would agree with this. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing that, that if you look at the Bible for the past 2,000 years, it's one of the most uh, reproduced, quoted, memorized, and studied books of literature of all time. And yet, we find ourselves in an unprecedented time when more and more people are feeling less and less compelled to read it. And there was, there was a time where it was like, okay, the Bible says it, I believe it, it's good enough for me. And it seems like we've entered this time where it's kind of like, well, the Bible says it, maybe. If you believe it, that's okay for you. But for, for me, I'm going to seek experiences and sources of truth and reality and, and beauty some, some other places. How do, we, how do we get from... From there to, to here. I suspect that there's a lot of reasons, but maybe some of the reasons have to, have to do with how we use the Bible, or at least how the Bible's been used recently or, or currently. I think on the most part, at least a couple of ways that the Bible's used is it's either overused, misused, or it goes unapplied. Think about that for a second. It could be overused. Somebody who just seems to find a way to use what they know about Scripture or some parts of Scripture, any opportunity that comes their way. Maybe, maybe it would look like, like this comedian who did a little impersonation of what a, a woman who maybe overuses the Bible, how she would do that in the, in the mall. 
Oh, I was gonna go to Macy's, but Dillard's is having a sale. Man plans his steps, but the Lord directs his path. Look at these purses. Excuse me, this is fashion now? Lean not on your own understanding. Oh, Spencer's gifts? Mm-mm, guard your heart. Finish line? Oh, yes, run the race I have set before you. 30% off all things work together for good. Oh, would you look at these here? Run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. Uh, no thank you, I don't need any skincare samples. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh, there Starbucks, thank heaven, streams in the desert. Look at these watches for such a time as this. Look at all this baggage. No thank you, I have left my burdens at the cross. Oh, I love this bedding. Yes, all who are weary, he will give you rest. Look at these knives. These are perfect iron, sharpens iron. Oh, man does not live by bread alone. Hey, Adam, you want to take a bite of this? Mm-mm, man's original sin. Microsoft only for me, thank you. Oh, Lululemon, he will not tempt you beyond what you can handle. Oh, Zales, absolutely not. My treasure is in heaven. Payless is having a sale. Lead me not into temptation. Oh, judge all you want to. You without sin cast the first stone. Oh, love this hat. Look at this. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. I will dwell in the Nestle Toll House of the Lord forever. I come all the way in here for a sale and they don't have my size. Jesus, please, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's good. It's funny. <laughs> Maybe we don't go to that extreme. But maybe there's circumstances that we overuse the Bible. Or maybe we misuse the Bible. Because the Bible, it seems, we've fragmented it into like these tweetable statements or, or these kind of refrigerator magnets, these Pinterest projects, or these memes. I love Pinterest projects. I really do. Like, I have one on my wall, and there's a verse, and it's, it's great. There's an author, thinker, Philip Yancey, who, who says, he kind of calls these kind of things moral McNuggets. Moral McNuggets. I mean, they taste good, they feel good, but you're really not going to sustain any life in consuming that way. And maybe that's not all that harmful, maybe, but, but if we take it maybe to a, a different level and, and, and we dip those McNuggets, McJudgments, McSacraments, not sacraments, McSentiments, excuse me, into our flavor, favorite flavor of Christianity or politics or religious agendas, all of a sudden we have the opportunity to do some real damage Overused, misused, unapplied. There's an author named G.K. Chesterton. He's a guy that wrote around the time of C.S. Lewis. He and C.S. Lewis would go back and forth. Really great thinker and writer. Here's a quote. It might need to be tweaked a little bit, but he says, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. And maybe we could substitute, the Bible has not been tried, found, and wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. I have some church planting friends. Before I came on staff here, I was a church planter, started new churches, all about reproducing churches, and got to interact with church planters, reproducers from around the world. Some guys in India and Africa, and, and I started to find out that the way that we view ourselves in 
America as Christians isn't really how the rest of the world understands us and views us. And they had this definition of what it means to be a Christian in America today. And they were almost hesitant to tell us, but now it's kind of going around the block a little bit. And people around the world kind of look at it this way. Christians in America, North American Christianity, is someone who has been educated far beyond their level of obedience. Someone who has been educated far beyond their level of obedience. Some of, some of us are feeling that. And it's not that these are all bad things. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with being able to recall Scripture for, for circumstances in our lives and, and having that encourage people. There's, there's nothing wrong with, with these, these uh, sentiments that are encouraging and inspiring. There's nothing wrong with studying. But when that's the only way or the primary way that we use Scripture... It can reinforce a lot of the misconceptions that leave us where we are today. And that's especially true for people who maybe are uncertain about the Bible or, uh, or don't know much about the Bible or unfamiliar with the Bible or intimidated. For those of us who are intimidated or overwhelmed by the idea of the Bible. Here's... here's our goal today. Our goal is not to, to convince you of the relevancy of the Bible. I, I can't do that if, even if I tried. We hope that all of us, whether you know Scripture or you think you know Scripture or you know you don't know Scripture, that the Bible, that God's Word, that we would desire to have a deeper relationship with God by interacting with this revelation of who He is that He's given us through what we call the Bible. Three stories I want to share with you today. The first story is the story of everything. How much time do I have? Okay. Story of everything. Really, the, the Bible is the story of everything. It's not just a book. It's a collection of books written by over 40 authors over 1,500 years that, that collectively gets at this overarching narrative. You might call it a through line or a meta-narrative that brings cohesiveness to the complexity of the Bible. And for me, the reason I want to share this is because it wasn't until I started to understand the Bible as the story of everything that the individual parts of the Bible started to make more sense. The, the, the parts inform the whole, and the whole informed the parts. And the story of everything is the story of us. It's our story, and it's God's story, and it's my story, and it's your story, and it's how those stories intersect. Lots of ways that we could talk about that arching story, lots of different authors and thinkers that have, have gone about doing that. There's a guy named Jared Stevens that is a pastor in Chicago, and he talks about, and he wrote in a book, four simple words, these four words that really can help us kind of understand and frame up this, this overarching narrative of the story. Here's the four words. Of, between, with, in. Let's say those together. Of, between, with, in. So if somebody says, hey, what's the Bible about? Just say, story of of, between, with, in. You're good. Have fun. So really, this is how the story unfolds. The, the beginning, it's really the first two chapters of the story. It's a story of how God creates mankind, humankind, 
in the image of himself. You and I are made in the image of God. Story that goes on for a little while for this section is the story of what happened between humankind and God. That something came in between he and us. And that's a thing that we don't like to talk about too often or it's a word maybe we avoid or just choose not to use. It's it's the word sin. That brokenness entered the world. The choices that were made and we continue to make caused a, a brokenness between our relationship with God and our relationship with each other and our relationship with creation, relationship with ourselves. That something happened between us that has disintegrated being made in the image of. And then the story continues. And Jesus shows up. And Jesus is the part of the story. It's this movement in the story where, where God is with man. That is with us. That, that God takes on flesh through the person of Jesus. And in this, this life of living with mankind, this life of understanding what it means to be human, we also see that, that God has provided a way through his through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, it's not just that God came to be with us, but he provides a way for us to be with him, starting now and forever. And as Jesus leaves the scene and the new movement starts, the next movement is is that God is in us. That he sends his Holy Spirit, his spirit, to be a part of our very beings. That we get to interact with and partner with God in a way that that we're empowered to live out this life that he's called us to, to to really fully live in the fullness of creation he's created us to be. But not just for ourselves, but so that together we're empowered to display this love to the world around us. Of, between, within. Story of everything. Second story is a story that Jesus told. Uh, Earlier you heard a little bit of it. Jesus loved to tell stories and one of the reasons is because stories get at really deep, profound truths in simple ways. That that a a group of kids can understand something that that even we as we contemplate it are going to still wrestle with. Here's, Here's the story. A little bit. It's found in Luke chapter 8. I'm going to run through it a little bit. It'll be on the screen and we'll talk about it a little bit as well. And Sarah shared that, that Jesus is sharing this story, and the story is really set up well by understanding that there's lots of crowds following Jesus. There's something relevant about who Jesus is. And he shares this story about interacting with his word. He says, There once was this, this sower, this farmer. And imagine that the disciples in the crowd, they're, they're seeing a, probably a field not far off. It's not a field like our fields. There's not farmers going through it with tractors. Everything's not set out by row perfectly. It's a field that through the middle of the field might run paths because people like to take shortcuts. Where people like to stay off the main road because it might be dangerous. And so there's small, thin paths through there. And 
Now, there's parts of, of the field that have been cultivated well, but some of the rocks that were cultivated from one spot get kind of thrown into other spots. And there's parts that maybe the, the, the gardening didn't get done that week, and so there's weeds popping up, and so that's, that's in the field too. And then there's good soil in the field. And this sower, this farmer, reaches into some sort of cloak or bag and just grabs seed and, and generously sows the seed throughout the whole field. Some of it lands on the path and some lands in the rocky soil and some lands by the weeds and some lands on good soil. Stuff that lands on the path, it's taken away, it's snatched away, it's, it's crunched under people's feet. The, the stuff that's in the, the soil that's rocky, doesn't grow, neither does the stuff in the thorns. Jesus goes on to, to describe what these different meanings of the different soils mean. You can read along on the screen. We'll, go to, we'll, we'll skip to verse 11, I think it is. He describes to them, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. When they hear it, they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they they don't mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble, good heart who hear the word and retain it and by persevering produce a crop. My hunch is, and I'd submit to you, that perhaps the reason we sometimes find the Bible is irrelevant maybe has less to do with what's happening around us and more to do with what's happening in us. That the relevancy of the Bible isn't determined by our circumstances, but is rather determined by the condition of our hearts. And see, I, I, I know for me that, that when it comes to this good news that I talk about and who Jesus is, that we, God is with us and we get to be with him, that's taken up in, in good soil in my heart. And I could share that story about how that's happened and, and the life that that's produced for me. But I also know that there's parts of my heart where God's trying to get at and he's trying to, to spread this word so generously in my life and my heart because he wants good for me. But my heart's a lot like a worn path. Something happened, maybe, maybe somebody hurt me or hurt somebody I love or, or somebody didn't meet the expectations I had. And because of that, there's just a certain parts and in certain ways that, that my heart is much more like packed down soil. And there's parts of my heart that, that are a lot more rocky than I would like to admit at times. That, that, that for some reason, I, there's, there's parts in my heart that, that the moisture, the, the, the thing that's going to nourish and give me life, isn't attached to good things. It's more attached to things that don't really bring the life that God promises. 
Maybe it's acceptance or maybe it's achievement or, or maybe it's just plain old appetite for things that actually don't have longevity. I'll say for me, you can say for you, when it comes to times that, that God's trying to sow something in my heart and it's just, not, it's just not growing, there's some rocks there, it's usually because of acceptance for me. It's because I'm not seeking to be found in the identity of who God's called me to be, made in his image. Instead, I'm trying to find identity in maybe how accepted I am by my wife or by my kids or by my family or by my colleagues or by my boss or by my professors or by my classmates or by my neighbors or by my friends. And what God's trying to do in my life, if that's where I'm trying to find nourishment, oh, it sounds good what God said, but it doesn't take root. And there's other parts of my heart that, that are much more like there's a bunch of thorns and weeds growing around what God's trying to do. These, these worries of the world, because man, I gotta do something about making sure my kids could get into a good college. I, I gotta do something about making sure that they could play on that sports team or this sports team and they have all the opportunities I want from them. That, that I have enough money in my bank account by the end of the, the year to, to make sure that I'm gonna be okay for a certain amount of time. It starts to take root, God's word does, but the other stuff in life chokes it out. But then there's parts of my life that I know, but God says something and for some reason it's just there's good soil there in my heart and it's so fruitful, so abundant, that I can't help but share that with other people. Last story. This took place a few years ago, actually. I was, uh, it was right when my son, Dylan, he's six and a half-ish now, was born. And uh, something happens when you have kids, you, you don't sleep. Um, and I had this routine down where I'd wake up and I'd, I'd either jump online and find some scripture to interact with and, and try to reflect on it and journal, kind of see what God had for me that day. And that changed. And then I thought, well, I can't, I can't, I'm really not doing the thing I, I really know brings life to me. What am I supposed to do? And so I downloaded this version app. It's a Bible app on my phone. And I signed up for like daily text messages that had verses. And so these verses I would get and I'd go, okay, I'd read it and I'd reflect on it on my way to work and in the car. I had 15 minutes or so. And, and here's what happened one time. I, I, I get this verse, pops up, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Some translations say, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and petitions, with thanksgiving, offer your prayers to God. Here's the thing, I've read that verse a lot of times. Uh, I had it in the context of the letter. I've understood it. I've gotten tweeted it. I've done all those things. But that day, something stuck out to me, and it got to the condition of my heart. Be thankful about all things, I'll offer up prayers because I'm anxious, but man, I got this thing going on. And at the time, I had this thing going on with some, some people who I thought didn't meet the expectations that kind of hurt some people I had loved. And I was about to go into a place that I was likely going to bump into them. And I remember starting to go through it, and I got through like my kids and my family, and I'm like giving thanks for all these good things that God has done. And then, uh, then he brings to mind um, this person. Let's just let's call him Dave, because that's his name. <laughs> um, 
tell him I was going to share the story. That's okay. Um, and I started giving thanks for all the ways that he had taught me leadership and the ways that he had uh, blessed the, the things that I had done in the past and the way that he had supported and encouraged. And, I, and, and by the time I get to this meeting, there were some other people that were in the list too. And I'm just, I'm just a wreck. Like I'm, I'm like weeping almost the whole time. Tears are coming down. And I'm like, thank you, God, for these people. And I start to realize I have really good things in my life despite what I thought was not so much. I get into the meeting and they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, I am great. And I was. It wasn't like I was happy by the time I was, I was joyful and I had this, this weight lifted off of me. And what happened that day in the car is I got in that car with a hard heart, worn out on this path and, and was trying to find nourishment other places and choked out by certain worries. And I got out of that car and there was fruitfulness in my life. So here's the question I have for us today. How's the condition of your heart? Maybe a follow-up question is, are you willing to step into and maybe lean into differently or more than you have before, exploring what God might have for you to reveal and to heal and bring fruitfulness to your life through interacting with his word? Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for your word. Thanks for stories that can get at the realities of our lives. God, I pray that in this place, even though there's some of us that have hard hearts or worn out hearts or rocky soil and thorns and worries, God, that your word, your so promising, will be generously sown over us. And I pray, God, that you will work on us and in us and through us. Praise in Christ's name. Amen.